Well, good morning. Welcome to everyone that is with us here in person and for those who are with us online. A joy and a privilege to be able to gather together, to be encouraged, to be strengthened, uh, to be able to sing, to pray, and to hear the Word together. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open your Bible to the very last book of the Bible, to Revelation. We are now in the last two chapters of this most incredible letter. There's good news uh, that we get to enjoy over the next few weeks as we come to an end in our series in Revelation, as we look at the, the return of the King and the making of all things new. We're going to read verses 1 through 8 of Revelation chapter 21. Let's consider these words together. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, And all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Let's take a moment to pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you would do a good work in our hearts. As we come to it, that you would bring timely encouragement. For anyone here who is wrestling with great difficulties and and struggles and knows the, the reality of pain and crying and mourning and death and struggle, God, I pray that these words would bring that timely encouragement. Any heart that is far or hard toward you, oh God, we would pray that you would draw near by your grace. We ask that you'd be with us as we consider your word. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. In the last book of the Lord of the Rings, there is a An incredible scene that captures what we are about to consider. Samwise, who is by far the best character in the entire Lord of the Rings story, and it's not up for debate. Samwise, surprised to be alive from the hellish, costly journey into the heart of Mordor, woke up and saw Gandalf, whom he thought was dead, and said, Gandalf! I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf 
And then he laughed, and the sound was like music. Revelation 21 and 22, the last two books of, or chapters of the Bible, is like waking up to a new world. It is a laugh. That sound is music. And it is to be for us a joyful encouragement, no matter the condition of our days right now. And that's our hope as we land this plane that is Revelation, as we close out in this, the, these next few weeks, that each week will be just another jet stream of encouragement for us as we consider where history will end at the return of the King. And in this return, in these chapters, we find that the King, King Jesus, will make all things new. All things new. The thought of that goes beyond our comprehension and our imagination, and yet it is a fixed point in history that a sovereign God will bring about all things new. And these, this all things new is to strengthen our faith. This morning I want us to be strengthened with this. We have a future glory. As we look at Revelation 21 and 22, and as we consider these words, there is a future glory. You may feel like you live in a present inglorious moment and season and struggle, yet there is a future glory. And secondly, we find that this all things new reality that is coming strengthens our faith with a present hope. That that future glory spills back into our lives right now and strengthens us with a present day hope. Amidst all the sin and struggle and heartache and and pain that we can have a present hope even now. Let's consider these together. A future glory and a present hope as we look here at the very end. A future glory. The first thing that we see in this future glory is that there is a great redemptive restoration. Look back again with me at verses 1 through 3. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. This is ultimately the story of Scripture. The Bible that you have in your hand or on your lap or in your tablet or your phone. That Bible, that Scripture, this is the story of Scripture. This is the thread that binds all the pages together from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. It is the unfolding story of God bringing about the reality where He will dwell with His redeemed people. So from Genesis to Revelation, we see that story unfold. But there's a very special connection to Genesis that we find. The very first two chapters of your Bible have an incredible bookend in the very last two chapters of your Bible. You can't escape Genesis 1 and 2 when looking at Revelation 21 and 22. In fact, you can do this 
for the whole two chapters, but just in the verses that we read, we find a, an incredibly important um, look at, 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 in comparison between Genesis and Revelation. It's in this comparison that helps us see that God promised to undo what was lost in the fall of mankind. And in Revelation 21 and 22, we see where that leads. And it's the thread that binds the story of Scripture together. So first, in Genesis, we know that God created the heavens and the earth. In Revelation, we see that God created the new heavens and the new earth. In Genesis, we see that the the earth was without form and void. And in Revelation, we see that the sea is no more. And the sea referring to a state of chaos, just like what we found at the beginning in Genesis. The sea is often in the Bible used as a metaphor for unrest, of chaos, of something uninhabitable. And it's in other places of Scripture, it's often used as a symbol of death or something terrifying. Earlier in Revelation 13, we found that this great beast against God and his people rose up out of the sea. And now the sea is no more. The chaos is no more. The unrest is no more. In Genesis, we find a husband and a wife. In Revelation, we find a redeemed bride, specially prepared and made holy for the Redeemer husband. In Genesis, we see Eden, the Garden of Eden, a place where God and man dwell together. But now in Revelation, it's not just the garden, but it's the whole creation, the whole new creation where God and the redeemed will dwell together. We find in Revelation that a greater reality has come. A great shadow has indeed departed because a greater reality has dawned at the return of the King. And this is good news. This is encouragement for us. This is the future glory that awaits those who trust Christ for salvation. Who belong to Him. Who hold on and say, yes, Christ is greater than what we can experience in this life. It's an important comparison to see in, in, in the first two chapters of the Bible and the last two chapters of the Bible. We also see a promise. The language of Revelation 21, 1 through 3, is that of covenant fulfillment. If you remember, a covenant is a super committed promise that carries with it uh, the blessings for fulfilling that promise and curses if that promise is broken. And the pages of Scripture and of history show that, that mankind continually broke that covenant, continually broke their end of the promise. And, and the most remarkable aspect of the first advent of Christ was that Jesus came to take on our promise-breaking curses so that we who trust in Christ would receive promise-keeping blessings. Mankind broke the covenant throughout the Bible and Jesus took the curse so that the redeemed could receive the blessing. Here we find that promise reaches its fulfillment. It reaches its fulfillment. And God showing himself yet again to be faithful. To be faithful to the very end. All the way back in the Old Testament, in, in a portion of the Old Testament that maybe 
wherever Brian Erickson is, maybe really struggled through in his you know, day 17 or 38 or wherever it was that Leviticus fell. Sometimes the, those Old Testament portions can be difficult to read through. And there in the heart of Leviticus, going over all kinds of, 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 of stipulations for the people of God, God says these words, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. That reaches its fulfillment here. The ultimate fulfillment of those promises tucked away in Old Testament law that God was going to see all the way through. We see here at the zenith the return of Christ fulfilled. God is not going to bail on his word especially with people who always break theirs. It's not necessarily your faithfulness that brings about the return of the king, but God's. God's faithfulness. Friends, God keeps his word. He keeps his word all the way to the very end. Just think about that for a moment. How might that truth, that reality, that God stays faithful to his promise, that he sees it all the way through. How might that encourage you right now with whatever it is that you might be facing, with whatever struggle that you might have in your life, whatever longing or nagging or hurt or, or whatever thing that might be an obstacle for you? How might you be encouraged right now by thinking upon the faithfulness of God? That throughout all of history, it is leading up to a moment in which there is a great, cosmic, everywhere, redemptive restoration. Because God doesn't bail on what he promises to do. My hope is that it does bring you great encouragement and strength in your day right now. There is a great redemptive restoration. And with that redemptive restoration, there's also, sort of on the other side of that coin, a redemptive reversal. There's a great redemptive reversal. Let's look at verse 4 and the beginning of verse 5. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold... I am making all things new. Part of our future glory isn't just a redemptive restoration, but it also includes a redemptive reversal where the sad things come untrue. God promised to restore, and with that comes a great cosmic, physical, spiritual, emotional reversal. The consequences of sin are myriad. I don't have to convince anybody in here of that. We've all felt them in various ways. Pain, loss, gossip, envy, heartache, destruction, war, cancer, death. And the wake of sin, that's, that the wake that is behind sin is one of decay and death. It is physical decay and death. It's spiritual decay and death. It's emotional decay and death. And the stench of sin is rotten. It spreads and suffocates with every venomous lie and every cutting gossip. 
These are the sad things that we experience in this life day in and day out. And there will be a day when these sad things come untrue. When God restores, He reverses the untrue. There's a theologian named William Hendrickson who put it this way. Every stain of sin, every scar of wrong, every trace of death has been removed. A great cosmic, physical, spiritual, emotional reversal. And with it comes a place, a new place, new digs, because The old digs have been reversed. Jesus says in verse 5, Behold, I am making all things new. All things. The word for new means bringing all things into a new and better condition. The all things aren't other things or different things, but actually restored things that have experienced a redemptive reversal of all that they suffered under. God doesn't just throw everything away and start over from scratch. No, He takes that which has been broken by sin and He restores it better. He doesn't just throw it away because it's broken. That's my favorite place to store things. The dump. Right? God doesn't throw us in the dump. He doesn't throw broken people into the dump. He brings about a redemptive restoration and reversal. He doesn't throw the heavens and the earth into the dump. He brings about a redemptive restoration and reversal. He reverses the effects. He fully eradicates the presence of sin. And He finally and fully restores. Oh, what a day. Where there will be a new city, which is a redeemed people, in a new place, which is a restored heavens and earth, experiencing the fullness of God's grace, in which all things are new. And instead, we will find a cosmic, physical, impenetrable, true and greater Garden of Eden, where stain and scar and trace of sin And all that was lost will be no more. And what does he say in verse 5? Behold. Behold. It's it's, It's imperative. It comes with force. Look. Pay attention to this. Pay attention to this redeemed reality that King Jesus is bringing about. Don't look elsewhere for something that it can't provide you with the kind of hope and joy and future glory that what King Jesus brings. Pay attention. Set your life. Fix your thoughts, your heart, your gaze on these things. And ask yourself right now, what consumes your heart? Or what does your heart consume? Do you spend your days doom scrolling through everything that you can find in the world? Are your ears and your heart being filled with barking pundits arguing over this and that and everything else? 
just grifting their way into your heart? What are you filling your heart with? Because it will come out in the way that you live. Instead, what, what about the story of Scripture unfolding the faithfulness of God to bring about a radically amazing, grace-filled redemption to our lives, to this cosmos? Behold, Jesus King Jesus is making all things new. There is a future glory. Not a future maybe. Not a future something. A future glory. And that future glory and what we see here is to bring to us also a present hope. Remember that the, the very heart and point of Revelation is to be an encouragement to the people of God to hold on, to not be dissuaded from following Jesus because the world around is incredibly hard and oppositional. To hold on, even though there are buffets of, of other things, comforts and pursuits that could and clog our lives up with all kinds of things that distract us from really the glories and grace of Jesus. And so this letter is written to encourage us to hold on in a hard world where evil is real, to hold on. And so this look at a future glory is also to bring about a present hope. And that present hope is, is, is to be understood in a couple of ways, at least that looking at this particular part of the passage. One is to bring about a present hope where we can long for the finality of redemption. You and I, we can long for the finality of redemption, where all this is leading, to live in a way that longs for it. Let's look at the rest of verse 5 and into verse 6. Also he, King Jesus, said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. It is done. Striking words. Familiar words also. The it is done has a, it's echoing something else that Jesus once said. There on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. And the it is finished of the cross echoes with the it is done of the making of all things new. They are two mirroring declarations of the same work of Christ. Coming from different angles, yet directed by our King. Jesus won. He won with His life, death, and resurrection. And the finality, the fullness of that victory, the finality of redemption is on display when Jesus returns and restores all things and says, it is done. And the it is done is trustworthy and true. Meaning you can live your life by these words. You can live your life by the words, it is done. You can order your life around the depth and the breadth of these words. Jesus can be to you the beginning and the end of all 
that God promised. So long for that. Long to know your King now. In a life is hard, evil is real world, long to know the King who brings it to an end. Long to know His character. Long to know His ways, His works, His word. Long to know His presence, His grace, His goodness, His kindness. Long to know Him. He is the best. He is over all. He is the name by which we can be saved. And every knee will bow. So why settle for something else? Long to know your king. And drink up. Drink up. To the thirsty. There is water. Drink up. Imagine with me, from, if you can, from the scene from the film Black Hawk Down, which is a dramatized depiction of the 1993 Battle of Mogadishu, involving elite soldiers seeking to rescue fallen soldiers in an overrun and hostile Mogadishu, and there's a lot of geopolitical problems with that storyline. But in that movie, surrounded and gunned down from all sides, these soldiers sought to make their way through a hostile city into a safe zone. Many died, most were wounded, and most of them all were thoroughly exhausted. The director told the story in a way that brought the audience into that desperation, into that exhaustion. And the movie ends with a small band of soldiers racing through a street with all sorts of dangers unknown and, and, and encroaching. And the, the entire scene is, is shot with just one, one look, not cut from different angles. You're just running along with them. Are they going to make it to the safe zone? And the director lets that scene just hang there. He doesn't race it. He doesn't rush it. He, he just lets it sit as you... Watch these guys run with exhaustion. Upon crossing the checkpoint, they collapse. They collapse. Others run to them to bring them all the way in. They begin treating their wounds. And then they all want something to drink. They want water. At the end of this long Sometimes, maybe often, painful journey. It's exhausting to live in a life as hard, evil as real world. There is great encouragement that brings about present day hope to know that King Jesus gathers us up, welcomes us in, and gives us water to drink. So, drink up now. Long for it now, but drink it up now. You get water now, though. It's not just water at the end after a long, exhausting journey in life. You get water now. We taste now what we will drink up in full. But we do taste it now as we gather together, like what we're doing right now. When we gather together to sing and to pray and to hear the word preached, we're drinking up 
When we gather together in small ways, in small groups, or in phone calls, or in coffee shops, or in living rooms to pray and to study the Word, we're drinking up what we will drink in full. When we eagerly and hopefully and selflessly share our lives with others, and so not only share our lives, but also the words of life, the gospel, we are tasting and drinking even now what we will taste and drink in full. So drink up. You don't have to be thirsty. God has given us the drink now. And we will enjoy it for all eternity. So long for the finality of redemption. Tasting it along the way. Secondly, this present hope that we find is that we can live in the reality of redemption. We can long for its finality and live in its reality. Live in its reality. Look at verses 7 and 8. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, the portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Redemption that we have in Christ brings us into a new reality. We spend the rest of our lives learning how to live in it. I'm going to say that again. The redemption we have in Christ brings us into a new reality. And you and I, who have that redemption, we spend the rest of our lives on earth learning how to live in that new reality. Here's what I want us to wrestle with as we think about this. First is, when we think about all that has been secured by Jesus, we see that, first of all, He has paid the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin has been paid. It's, in a sense, what theologians would call justification. The things that establish us right with God are wrapped up in the penalty-paying work of Jesus. Our righteousness is not based on anything that we have brought to the table, but based solely on the fact that Jesus took all our unrighteousness and gave us all his righteousness. It's been paid in full. It's what we look back at. We look back to that work of Christ and his life, death, and resurrection, and we see that our penalty is paid in full. We also look forward like we're doing now in Revelation. We're looking forward to the day of what the king will do. And we rejoice in that. We rejoice in the fact that one day the presence of sin will be removed. The presence of sin will be removed. Theologians call that glorification, in which all the things of, that we've been considering here in Revelation 21 happen. The all things new. The redemptive restoration and reversal. We anticipate that day, and so we rejoice in that. We look forward rejoicing. We look back resting in the completed work of Christ, bringing about the penalty of our sin being paid. We look forward rejoicing that one day the presence of sin will be removed forever. But what about now? So we look to the King and what the King is doing now by the Spirit, and we see that the power of sin is broken. It's what theologians call sanctification. That is the ongoing, slow and steady 
throughout all our days kind of growth that God is at work in our lives. It's, it's something that requires us to keep looking back and keep looking forward. We keep looking back and resting in that penalty of sin being paid. And we keep looking forward, rejoicing in the presence of sin being removed. But in that looking back and looking forward, God equips us and, and changes us and strengthens us to keep digging in and keep digging deeper into who we are and what we have in Christ. So this is the redemption that God has secured for us. Paying the penalty. Removing the presence. And breaking the power of sin in our lives. We are rescued into this, friends. This is what we have in Jesus. The penalty is paid in full. The power of sin has been broken. And one day the presence of sin will be fully eradicated. We can live in the reality of that redemption now. By digging in and digging deeper into all that we are and all that we have in Christ. I love 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, Beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. From this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. God is at work in His people. Degree by degree, little by little, steadily, because God is faithful to the very end, doing work in us. But we are to behold. We are to pay attention. We are to set our light, our lives, our, and fix our gaze on our King, our Lord, our Savior. We are being transformed into the same image. That is, into the image in which we are beholding in King Jesus through the gospel. And so living in, in the reality of redemption calls us to pay all the more attention to all that God has given us in Christ. To know Him, to love Him, to follow Him. A great shadow has departed. There will be a day when we will laugh over the reality that all the sad things are now untrue. There will be a day in which we will drink waters of life, rejoicing over the redemptive reversal and restoration of all things. There will be a day when the weariness of this world will be brushed away with a wisp. And glory will fill our eyes. And so I say... Hold on. That day will come. Hold on. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and, and it's a timely encouragement for us, and we pray that we would believe it and trust it and cling to you. There are many struggles in this life, and there are many struggles in this room. We have hearts that struggle. Struggle with fear or doubt, struggle with sin, shame, struggle. And God, I pray that you would strengthen us and help us to see all that you have accomplished for us in Christ and how that is all more than enough for our lives now. And so maybe many of us in here don't live with a present hope and we are a desperate need for it. God, would you 
expand our hearts to better understand you, to better understand your purpose, to better understand your word as it reveals your promises fulfilled, to better understand our Savior, to better understand his glory and his grace, to better understand the work of the Spirit applying it to our lives, to better understand the present reality that we live in. God, would you do that in us? And would you strengthen our faith? Would you encourage our hearts, our lives? And God, would you give us a longing for that great and glorious day? May we hold on to your glory and our good. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.